Hey guys, welcome to the Marriage for Millennials podcast. It is 6.39 p.m. on October 12th, so thanks for listening again, or if you're new, hello there. I'm your host, Rochelle Ham, creator of marriageformillennials.com, a blog that discusses God's design for family, teaches women to honor Christ before marriage, and prepares younger women for family. Uh, to put things in my real time, the blog is in the strategically single phase, and what that means is that I do not address specific issues about marriage at this time because I'm not married. Instead, my current focus is teaching women to honor Christ before a man and preparing them for family if that is a current desire they have. Now, before we get started, I always do this. I want to tell you where you can keep the combo going after um, the end of this podcast with me, as well as some housekeeping for the site. Uh, this will be posted on the site, marriagemillennials.com, so if you have any questions, feel free to comment below on that post, or you can also visit the Facebook page, which is backslash mfmillennials. Um, my Twitter and Instagram handle is Ham. that is R-O-C-H-E-L-L-E, so feel free to follow and talk with me there as well. Also, the podcast is on iTunes, so subscribe so that you won't miss a podcast. Just type Marriage for Millennials in the iTunes search bar and it will pop up. Last thing, if you have been following or even if you haven't, I've created the Dating Detox, which is my first crash course that teaches you to ditch the dating game and create your single strategy. So feel free to head to the site and check that out. Um, I want to thank the people who have already downloaded it. Give me some feedback. Um, let me know what you liked. If you didn't like it, if you hated it, let me know all of that jazz. And again, it's free and it's for everyone from the single and content to the many of you that may be desiring a godly relationship. All right, so go cut that. Alrighty, guys, let's jump in. So I just got up from a great nap. I'm feeling refreshed. I'm feeling alert. Um, I didn't do a podcast last week because, you know, of being a lazy adult. <laughs> Sue me. Um, I mean, I did have a lot of things going on, but I just didn't feel like pushing myself last week, you know? Um, nevertheless, I didn't want to miss out on another week for girl chat, so I just decided to get myself together. So, forgive me. <laughs> okay, so if you've read any content for Marriage Millennials lately, then you'll see that my 25th birthday is approaching and, quite frankly, it's driving me crazy. <laughs> and, you know, while I am excited, I'm getting really anxious about a lot of things. Um, trying to think about the things you want to embody to be the woman you aspire to be is a lot of pressure, you know, but I do think that there should be come a point where you know a woman knows who she is what she wants and she's consistent in those things so that's what I've been working on you know I know that some of you listening will be shady in your head you know throw that shade girl (laughs) you know you're probably thinking you know it's just 25 you know stop letting society make you feel like you have to have it all at 25 listen just let me be great okay (laughs) let me do me on this one if you want to take your whole life to get yourself together, I'm going to let you do you. Okay? We're even. All right. So, but yeah, so socially, I've always hung around people older than me. Um, with that being said, one of the things that I've been doing lately is kind of somewhat interviewing those that are above the age of 25, those that are my friends. Yes, I'm the friend that looks at my friends as mentors in many different ways, and it's kind of like one of the qualifications of being my friend. Like, I have to be able to learn something from you in some type of way. That's what kind of draws me to, I guess, make the first step in wanting to say, hey, let's develop a friendship. (laughs) So, yeah, 
I will put them on my hot seat per se. And the main question I would ask them is, what are some things you have become unapologetic about now that you are 25 or older in general? You know, like, what are some things that you are just sorry, not sorry on? Some things where you're just like, listen, you can catch this growth or you can exit stage left. You know, like, what are some things you decided you would embody you and who you are to the point where you don't really care who stays or goes in regards to those things? I think everybody should have them. And I'm just kind of at the point where I'm trying to figure out what those things for me are going to be in my life. So while their answers were all different, you know, of course, they included different things based on who they are and their personality. I was able to gain some perspective and knowledge on what I would want to be unapologetic about going forward. And, you know, while there are numbers of things that I do plan to not be sorry for going forward, I wanted to share in detail one that I feel is the most important and the most relevant to marriage for millennials. That one thing is the fact that I don't want to have to apologize for being Christian around you. Like, sorry, not sorry. (laughs) Seriously. Like, in the Christian culture, I notice that most of us are always running around trying not to step on the toes of those who don't believe in Christ, right? Now, when I say this, I mean in regards to those who want nothing to do with Christianity, the ones who attack you when you make a post on social media, you know, the ones who preach to Christians about tolerance on everything else, but who also fail to be tolerant to Christianity, those folks, (laughs) As a result, you know, I see all the time, you know, we put disclaimers in our statuses, our articles, our sermons, and we say things like, well, I'm not trying to be a super Christian here, or I'm not trying to be too deep, or I'm not judging you. Anything to kind of not poke the bear, you know, like, yeah. And so honestly, truly, I'm really just kind of straight on that going forward. Like, I'm tired of it. I'm simply tired of Christians feeling like we have to be timid around those who don't believe. Like I said earlier, you can catch this growth, (laughs) this holy growth, (laughs) or you can exit stage left. And I really don't want to be sorry about that. But apart from, you know, Facebook followers who I don't know in real life and will probably never know, I also want my unapologetic stance to also apply to my active friendships, you know, the ones that I'm really close to, uh, the girls who I consider my sisters, things of that nature. Lately, I've just been feeling out of place, you know, at times because of that conviction you get when you decide you want to live for Christ seriously. And one of the biggest challenges I face as I grow in Christ is the fact that I ask God, like, if I'm going to lose the people closest to me as I grow. I mean, Christianity will do that at times. Like if you hang with your friends, you're drinking excessively, or you're going to party all the time, or whatever the case may be, if you stop doing that as much or even completely, if your friends you know, aren't cool with hanging out with you in different environments, then naturally you're just going to hang out less, and over time you'll eventually grow apart. And so while I don't want that, you know, There's a thin line because you can slowly find yourself living for other people and putting your beliefs and interests to the side constantly just because you want to save a friendship. And my question to myself is always like, why would I want a friendship like that anyway? So, yes, as you can see, I've been doing some overanalyzing. And as usual, 
it was driving me crazy. It was driving, literally driving me nuts. So what I did was I decided to organize my thoughts. I decided to think about what message I would want to send to all the Facebookers out there or even my friends alike. And I came up with about seven things that my unapologetic self would love for them to know and questions they probably already have for me. Let's dive in. Number one, I came to this decision on my own. So just a little background. For those of you that don't know, I grew up in the church. You know, I sang in choirs. I was in dance ministry. Um, I did competitions. My mother was and still is involved in the church. She used to do, you know, uh, praise and worship. Now she does more intercessory prayer. Um, you know, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday twice, you know. Um, just like a typical Christian today, I was doing all the mainstream things you know, kind of like the Corinthians back then, but I still was not really being fed spiritually and doing a lot of the wrong things like the Corinthians. When I would ask questions um, in regards to Christianity or Christ, I would get told, you know, not to question God or the person would get angry or rub the wrong way that I was even asking a question to begin with. So fast forward to college, you know, you have professors that have answers to their beliefs of biology and philosophy and just seeing the kind of false prophecy of word of the word of faith sensation and seeing how it really got the people of God nowhere and seeing how it has taken over the church. I slowly felt myself pulling away and backing away from the church. Now, there was even a point where my mother-in-law were kind of at odds and she could tell I was becoming agnostic and she threatened to kick me out if I didn't believe in Christ anymore. But at the end of the day, I had questions and no one was answering them. Everyone was just going to church, doing the motions and not really taking it seriously. So I thought, I mean, why should I? So for a brief period in my life, I didn't take Christianity seriously at all. But I did take researching other religions and whatever other theologies were out there. Um, you know, and long story short, I think I'll do a long explanation of that in another podcast, but through a bunch of historical, you know, geographical and other research and research and also meeting Sam, who taught me about Reformed Christianity and Calvinism, I was able to get answers to my questions and actually understand what I believe and why I do. I want that to be clear because, you know, a lot of times those who don't understand true Christianity keyword true, you know, they'll act as though you're just acting like a zombie and you didn't make a conscious decision as an as an intelligent individual to be Christian. You know, they'll kind of look at you like a charity case and, you know, often kind of like a oh, poor baby, you know what I mean? So I want it to be clear that while I do understand that there are a bunch of Christians like that who, you know, kind of don't know what they believe or why they believe it, which I guess is okay if it works for them since they believe in Christ, I want to be clear to to my friends and those Facebookers out there that no one forced me, no one put fear in me. I did the research on my own and I intellectually made that decision on my own. I'm a Christian that's smart. So come with it, basically. Two, um, the question, do Christians think we're better than you? And to that, I would say no, but hear me out. Do I have the authority to think I'm better than you to the point where I condemn you to hell? Absolutely not. You know, God is the one who makes those decisions. But now with that being said, 
being a Christian means that I've accepted Jesus to take on my sin and therefore save me from the wrath of God being hell. A person who does not have Jesus in their life, unfortunately, does not have that luxury. They do not have a savior to save them from God's wrath. And we all know what I'm getting at here, basically. I mean, a lot of times you see people who don't even believe in Christ talking about heaven, going to heaven and going to hell. It's kind of like, this doesn't really apply to you. Like, you know what I mean? Like the whole heaven thing doesn't apply to you because you don't believe in Christ. You don't, you don't get one without the other. So am I going to condemn you to hell? No, but I'm also not going to apologize for the fact that I am happy to have a savior that will embrace me into the doors of heaven. So with that being said, let's move on to number three. Thou shalt not judge. Ooh, this is the one that everyone, you know, kind of throws around. This is such a big misconception in society and even in the body of Christ, to be honest. Um, every time someone does something that they are guilty or shameful of, you know, the first thing they'll say, they'll spit out is, you know, don't judge me. Only God can judge me. You know, people are getting it tattooed on them. Those who, who have been stepped in church since, you know, Easter um, and people, they are, they hold on to that. It's kind of like a defense of when they do something wrong. Not only that, but if you ever give correction to your brother or sister, whether in Christ or outside of Christ, it's referred to as judging. I'm sick and tired of people taking this out of context and running with it. So let me be clear. The Bible never, ever said that we should not judge one another. What happened is most people look at that one verse, they don't read the, the verses above it or behind it or under it, and they take it out of context and they run with it. And it's not just people who are necessarily in the secular world, but even Christians and pastors alike. To tell someone not to judge is actually impossible. Like, for example, when you saw this podcast on your social media feed, you made a judgment mentally on whether or not you were going to listen or you weren't going to listen. You make a judgment on you know who you want or don't want to associate with. In the morning, when you go downstairs and you decide, I'm either going to make a smoothie or a juice or I'm going to eat my leftovers from last night, you weigh the pros and cons and you made a judgment to move forward. We constantly make judgments every day. You know, there are even many scriptures that tell us to judge and even give us instructions on how to confront our brother or sister in Christ when they sin, which based on, you know, the, your logic is judging. What the Bible instructs us not to do is judge hypocritically. Keyword, hypocritically. So what that means is if I'm struggling with alcohol, I shouldn't be talking to another Christian about, you know, why they struggle with alcohol, you know, if they get drunk, because that will be hypocritical because I'm struggling with the same thing. I should be taking the speck out of my own eye at that point. But if I struggle with alcohol and they struggle with fornication, biblically, it's my job to judge and guide them with tough love back, back to Jesus when they fornicate. It's also their job to judge and guide me when I get drunk. Get it? Moral of the story is if I'm your friend, I'm going to tell you when you're wrong. And on Facebook, I'm going to talk about where our nation is going. Yes, technically, I am judging you. And when I come out of character, I hope that you will judge me too. Four, Christian doesn't mean perfect. 
Now that we got numbers two and three down, let's talk about perfection. I don't know if I blame, you know, some of the Christians who kind of act holier than thou, now that they've accepted Christ into their life. But just because I decide to, you know, strongly believe in my faith and act on it, that does not mean that I am perfect or I think that I'm perfect. You know, I tell people that if you were perfect, you would not need a savior. There's no reason for Jesus to save you from your sin if you don't have any sin. So there's no Christian in this world that is perfect. You know, so don't put us on a pedestal as if we think we're perfect or, you know, we're acting as if we're perfect. And Christians don't act like you're holy than thou and super perfect. There will be times when I fall short. You know, there will be. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, please be that friend that still sees the God in me while giving me a, a verbal butt whooping. Five. I don't do tradition, I do Bible. I say this because there are some things that the church has made laws that are not even in the Bible, you know, kind of like the Pharisees did. Um, Christians, especially when it comes to like evangelism, we are supposed to be like waiters. Like when you go to a restaurant, you know, after the customer put their order in, um, you know, the chef is in the back cooking it. Once the chef is done, he gives you the plate and it's just your job to take the plate and bring it to the customer. It's not your job to add spices to it, add a little bit more sauce on it. It, it, it. That's not your job. But a lot of the times we do that in the Christian community. So, for example, Christians in drinking. You know, I grew up thinking that putting even a drop of liquor in your mouth or wine or something was wrong. Alcohol, you know, that you're sinning if you do that. But when you read the Bible, though, you see that the Bible was, it was pretty, it was actually okay with Christians drinking in moderation, like at a wedding or another special occasion, you know, maybe a glass of wine in the privacy of your own home or an intimate setting with friends or even to cure someone when they were grieving or the old when they're about to die. That's, that's in the Bible. What the Bible does prohibit, though, is getting drunk. So if I'm around you and I pour a glass of wine, you know, while I'm not doing anything unbiblical, I don't do traditions. I follow what is exactly in the Bible. So, you know, now if you see me getting drunk, correct me because I'm not supposed to be doing that. But there's nothing wrong with me pouring a glass of wine per se. And there are other things besides alcohol that you know, are traditional that aren't necessarily biblical, but I just kind of wanted to use that one because most of the time when you're hanging out with unbelievers, that's more of a common social activity that may take place. Six, if me plus you equals you, that is a friendship I don't want to pursue. I think I think that's the phrase. I think I got that right. Um, I heard it when I was listening to a Steph on my own new podcast a couple of weeks back. But yeah, I mean, a friendship is two people that make compromises for each other. They do the things of the interest of both parties. So if our friendship only works when I'm doing what you want to do, or it only works if I'm walking on eggshells because if I decline your invitation, I feel like it'll tear us apart. Then in the grand scheme of things, I don't really know if that's a friendship I would want or even want to pursue.
or even want you to pursue at that. Is it possible to be friends with those that don't believe in Christ? I believe so. I truly do believe so. But, you know, for that friendship to work, they're going to have to be some times where you hang with me on my terms like I do with you. Again, compromise. Seven, lastly, talk to me. <laughs> that's the biggest, that's one of the biggest things too. If you have questions about what I believe, why I believe what I believe, or even how we can make sure that our friendship stands the test of times with that new part of me, you know, talk to me. Let's communicate our points, our views, you know, with no love loss. You know what I mean? Like we can even agree to disagree and still go to five seconds later, you know, just so that we can address the elephant in the room and move on in love. And, you know, if nothing else, thank you in advance for being my friend, you know, and thank you for understanding the unapologetic stance I have on this. Um, I think it's a beauty when two people can maybe have disagreements or maybe not be 100% on one thing, but still move forward in love and still be able to develop a friendship. So, you know... I still love you. Even the Facebook friends I don't know, I still love you. Um, and, of course, my family, my sisters love you always. Well, that's all I have for you today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, remember, again, this is going to be posted on the site, marriagemillennials.com. So if you have any questions, feel free to comment below on that post. Or you can also visit the Facebook page, backslash MF Millennials. My Twitter and IG handle, I don't think I said my last name the first time, but it is Rochelle Ham. So R-O-C-H-E-L-L-E-H-A-M. So feel free to follow and talk with me there as well. Also, podcast is on iTunes. So if you like what you heard today and you want to subscribe to any other ones, yay. <laughs> Just type in Marriage Millennials in the podcast, um, iTunes search bar, yeah, and it'll pop up. So, yes, this week, um, as I close, I guess, pray for me, and I pray for you as well. It's one of the things I've really been doing, just kind of praying for a lot of people, exercising um, my prayer life. So, yes, pray for me, and I pray for you as well. I hope that you have a great week, a great rest of the week, and, you know, remember to look for a second thing to be grateful for. The first thing being that you're alive. Alrighty, love you ladies and friends. Take care. Bye. Hey guys, Rochelle here. Just coming to you with a PSA, a public service announcement. The music that you hear on this podcast are by two Christian artists that I thought were not only great for the podcast, but great in general. The first one is Myron Butler and Levi, Set Me Free. That's my jam. And the one you're listening to right now is by K-Beats called Drowning. Uh, listen to the lyrics, love the songs like I do, and if you love it enough, purchase them. Support your fellow Christian artists. Alrighty guys, take care.